Welcome to This is Texas Wine. I'm your host, Shelley Wilfong. On this podcast, I take a look into the Texas wine industry and give you all the news, education, and information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. I'm not exactly a Texas wine insider, but I'm an enthusiastic consumer. Thanks for joining me on This is Texas Wine. This is episode five. On today's episode, I'm giving some advice to people who are just getting started on their Texas wine journey. Hear my plan on how to fill a Texas wine starter case. And I'm drinking a wine, well, maybe it's not exactly a wine. I actually had to research exactly what it is. Let's call it wine adjacent, and it's most definitely not hard seltzer. But first, Texas wineries are in the news. Ben Calais and Dan and Mara Sharp of Sharp Family Vineyards have planted the highest elevation vineyard in the state of Texas. It's located in the Fort Davis AVA. The mountainside vineyard site sits at 5,800 feet in elevation and is planted to Cabernet Sauvignon. Ben says they're either the smartest or the dumbest bleeps around. Only time will tell. Here's to shooting for the stars. The vineyard name is Paradis. That's paradise with no E. The name was inspired by the Paradise Caldera. Its lava flows created the volcanic soils where the vineyard is located. Well, Grape Fest is canceled. The annual Grape Fest Wine Festival in September was canceled due to the coronavirus pandemic, the Grapevine Convention and Visitors Bureau announced. The festival is the largest wine event in the Southwest and usually draws about 260,000 visitors. The event would have been the 34th annual event since its inception in 1987. It takes place on historic Main Street in the city of Grapevine, which is just north of the DFW airport. It was scheduled for September 17th to 20th and was to be presented by the Bank of the West. It usually features 45 Texas wineries. In addition, 200 wines from around the world are featured. HEB is Texas's favorite grocery store and was once again in the news. HEB topped Food and Wine Magazine's list of top grocery stores. The rankings were based on best value and best products, as well as the chain's relationship with the community. Food and Wine said it took the process even more seriously this year because of the coronavirus pandemic. The magazine article noted that while very few of our favorite stores passed the pandemic test with flying colors, some stores went above and beyond, leading the way on worker protections, compensation, and expanded health benefits very early on in the crisis. By mid-March, as much of the industry flailed, Texans were joking that HEB ought to run for president. There are 340 HEB stores in Texas, plus some in Northeast Mexico, and also several central market stores. Retail sales in 2018 were $28 billion. I did a little research and found a September 2017 article in Market Watch about HEB, specifically about the wine and beer department. I learned that although HEB's beer and wine sales figures are undisclosed, industry sources estimate them to be around $1 billion. There are a lot of interesting tidbits about the beer and wine department in the article, and I'll link to that in the show notes. The director of wine and beer at the time, and I think he still is according to LinkedIn, is Dan Schultz, and he manages about 180 beer and wine stewards who work across 130 stores. A standard location may have about 1,300 wines and 750 beers, but the product mix is highly variable by store. One of the top-selling wine locations in the country has about 2,500 wines, and that number is growing. 
And that store is in Houston. It's the HEB at Village Plaza at Bunker Hill. At the time of the article, beer sales were slightly larger than wine sales, but the two were expected to even out within three to five years, so possibly right about now. The wine selection is typically 60% domestic and 40% imports. Dan said he also likes to feature Texas wineries. In some top wine-performing stores, there are 50 to 80 Texas brands represented. He said, We want to do the same things that Washington and Oregon retailers did to support their local wines. He notes that quality has improved as wineries focus on varieties like Tempranillo, which does well in Texas's hot climate. I received a heart-wrenching email this week from Brennan Vineyards. It states that the tasting room there has been shut down for about 12 weeks, or about 23% of the annual sales cycle. That's really a blow, and Texas wineries are continuing to offer shipping discounts and delivery. I've seen both Pontotoc and Farmhouse making deliveries to DFW this week, and Pontotoc is also making deliveries to Houston in the coming week. Pontotoc was not only delivering wine, but also their vineyard picnic basket with all kinds of homemade products like bread, pimento cheese, sausage, fruit, and brownies, everything homemade. That's so awesome, and there are two other fun ideas that I've seen wineries doing this week. A number of wineries are doing private virtual tasting, but I I know at least one that's doing private in-person tastings, too. Fall Creek Vineyards is offering private tastings for wine club members in the members' homes. A masked staff member will conduct a fun, informative tasting of several different Fall Creek Vineyard wines, and that's for groups of 10 or fewer people. The cost is $350 and includes seven wines, and you can purchase this on the Fall Creek Vineyards website. I also had to laugh recently when I got an email from Lost Draw Cellars with the exact same title as this podcast episode, Texas Wine 101. I already had this podcast sketched out and even had the graphic created when I got the email about Lost Draw Cellars offering production facility tours and informational sessions on Texas winemaking, grape growing, Lost Draw facts and insights. Great minds think alike. Lost Draw is scheduling this behind the scenes tour on their website and your group can be for up to six people and there's no charge. While you're there, you can restock your wine shelf. In the early days of the pandemic, virtual tastings were hot, and everyone was participating. But now, kind of a virtual fatigue may be setting in. I recently read a blog post by Jason Haas of Topless Creek Winery in Paso Robles. And Topless Creek is a very well-regarded winery with an annual case production of about 30,000 cases a year. They specialize in Rhone varietals, and they've also got a grapevine nursery where a lot of the Rhone varietals in the U.S. originate. Jason had a blog post about their virtual tastings at Topless Creek that I thought was interesting. He said, We pivoted to offer virtual tastings during the three months when our tasting room was closed, and we enjoyed them and got a lot of positive feedback. But as things have moved toward reopening, we've seen demand fall pretty sharply. In April, we sold 58 of our virtual tasting packs per week. In May, that declined to 23. In June, it fell to 8. Some of that was other wineries jumping into the same space, but a lot of it, I think, was Zoom fatigue and the fact that sitting in front of a computer is a pale reflection of a winery visit, no matter how engaging a winery tries to make it. I looked at the list price on their four-bottle virtual packs, and it was $230, which is a bit higher than what I've seen from some Texas wineries, but still I was surprised to see that they had sold so few. 
I do still think that there's a benefit for wineries to hold these virtual events. I've tuned into a lot of them, even though I haven't bought wine for all of them. And I think that I've gotten a lot out of the experience. Sometimes I just want to hear people talk about the wine before I commit to buying it. And sometimes I just want to get to know what the winery is all about. I do wonder what kind of drop-off Texas wineries may be seeing in their virtual events from the start of the pandemic to now. Or who knows, maybe they're seeing an uptick in participation. At least one winery, and I can't remember right now which one it was, posted this week that they're doing their first ever virtual tasting this weekend. So maybe the novelty of being new to the game will generate a lot of interest for them. And finally, Schaefer is a well-known California wine brand specializing in Chardonnay and Cabernet Sauvignon. The proprietor, Doug Schaefer, was a classmate of Texas winery owner and winemaker Kim McPherson. Doug Schaefer is also a podcaster, and Kim was his guest on his most recent podcast. Kim shared information about Texas wine, but mostly the two friends told a lot of funny stories about their grad school days, and Kim told of his winding career path from Texas to California and back. Kim talked about how he judges several wine competitions each year, how he had favorable words about the Texom International Wine Competition, which he says is the one he's most proud of and is the hardest competition in America. Doug closed the podcast with one of Kim's quotes that I thought was neat. It's Kim's advice to a young winemaker. Kim said, You've got to be a motorboat. You can't be an ocean liner. You've got to be able to turn the corner and speed around the rocks. You've got to be able to think quick. You've got to be objective about the wine you're making. Don't fall in love with the stuff. If it's not good when you put it in the barrel, chances are it's not going to get any better. You can't put lipstick on a pig. Take it while it's young and hot and do something else with it before it's too late. You've got to get creative about what to do with what you have. And that's the Texas Wine News. Some of my recent podcasts have gone pretty deep into topics that are of interest to people already involved in Texas wine, but this next one is specifically for those who are brand new to Texas wine or who are just thinking about trying Texas wine for the first time. Today I'm going to talk you through what you need to know before you get started learning about and drinking the Lone Star State's greatest fermented fruit juice. That's right, I'm talking about Texas wine. So you're not an early adopter. That's okay. You're here now, and that's what's most important. This episode is for all of you who are ready to explore Texas wine, but are not quite sure just where to start. Texas isn't new to growing grapes or winemaking. In fact, the first grapes were grown in Texas in the 1600s by Spanish missionaries. We've had our ups and downs for over a couple of centuries, not to mention nationwide catastrophe of prohibition. But things started looking up for Texas wine in the 1980s, and the number of Texas wineries expanded and the wine started flowing. Remember, it wasn't until 1976 that the judgment in Paris happened when it became okay to even drink California wine. Before that, France was the end-all and be-all. As I shared in my last podcast, many Californians and wine connoisseurs who had heard about Texas wines called them disparaging names like Chateau Bubba or Cactus Blanc. Well, here we are in 2020, and Texas wine is a whole new ballgame. The spirit of experimentation is alive and well here. And Texas isn't just making the wines that your parents drank, although sure, there are some of those too. You'll find a little bit of everything in Texas, 
from the most traditional varieties made in time-honored ways to some more lesser-known grape varieties and ancient winemaking techniques that are making a comeback. Behind every bottle or can or keg, there's a great story about hardworking Texans who farm the land and make great wine. There's a growing sense of pride in Texas-grown, Texas-made products, and Texas wine is no different. Isn't it time Texas wineries had as much support as iconic Texas products like Whataburger, Bucky's, Dr. Pepper, and Shinerbach? That's one reason I've been using the hashtag TexansDrinkTexas. Today I want to give you some pointers about how to experience Texas wine for the first time, or for the first time in a long time. But first, there are five things I don't recommend. Number one is trying Texas wine once in 1997 and deciding you don't really like it and you're never trying it again. Number two is trying Texas wine in 105 degree weather out of a plastic shot glass at a festival and deciding you don't really like it and you're never trying it again. Number three, mistakenly believing that generic California wine is a status symbol. Four, being crazy about craft beer, but not giving Texas wine its due. Number five, being all about natural wine, but not considering Texas's natural wine producers and even the more conventional producers that are using low-impact styles. This is a topic that could take up an entire podcast episode, but just know that the growers and wineries that are responsibly farming grapes in Texas are doing so with a lot of care for the end product and for the environment. Okay, then. Sadly, in the COVID-19 era, the places where you might encounter Texas wines are dwindling in number. Festivals are canceled, and we aren't spending much time in bars. Even wine tasting at wineries is on hold for the moment. Still, restaurants are open, and we have to shop for our groceries somewhere. And thank goodness, internet shopping is still a thing. We can experience Texas wines in all of these places, so let's talk about each one. Then I'll finish by introducing my Texas Wine Starter Case, a shopping guide that will fill your shelves with a nice variety of Texas wine. In a restaurant. Now, these are interesting times in the COVID world, and we're clearly not eating out like we once were. But still, restaurants are slowly coming back, and they're opening up outdoor seating. They're spacing indoor seating and doing a bang-up takeout business that includes to-go cocktails and, you guessed it, wine. Whenever you see a Texas wine on a restaurant wine list, I highly recommend that you order it. Not only do you get to try a Texas wine, but your purchase signals to the restaurant that there's a market for Texas wines on the list. Now, since you're attempting to drink more Texas wine, why not look for a restaurant that's been recognized as having a great Texas wine list? Look no further than the restaurants that have been named Texas Wine Champions by the Texas Department of Agriculture and Texas Wine Ambassador Jason Heisall. Jason works for a wine distribution company, but he's also been given authority by the Department of Agriculture to award restaurants that are great supporters of Texas wine with this designation. You can find this list of restaurants by following Jason's Instagram account. It's at TXWineAmbassador. He travels the state and gives out these awards to deserving restaurants that have Texas wines by the glass and by the bottle. Again, that Instagram account is at TX Wine Ambassador. And finally, if a restaurant you visit doesn't have Texas wine on the list, ask for it. Restaurant owners have no reason to change up their list unless people ask. Ask them in person and then ask them again on social media. I just saw a new Instagram account for a new restaurant that's opening in Grapevine. I commented on the photo. 
I can't wait to see what Texas wines you offer on the wine list. Sure, I'm just one voice, but if more people did the same, it could really affect change. Next, let's talk about a wine shop or a grocery store. Do you know which wine shop near you has the best selection of Texas wines? Well, make it your mission to find out. Don't be afraid to talk to the salesperson. Maybe the shop will offer tastings or classes on Texas wine or will let you know when a new wine comes in. Not only that, find out which salesperson is the biggest fan of Texas wine and get to know that person. Expect to get some great wine recommendations once you've established a relationship. Now, I'll tell you, most of my wine is not purchased at the grocery store, but I've certainly bought some great Texas wines at HEB, Central Market, and some Whole Foods stores. In fact, I just had a very successful trip to the Lakewood Whole Foods store in Dallas, and I'll be talking about one of the wines I got there in the What I'm Drinking section in just a bit. But I did have to drive across town from me because the Whole Foods by me has almost no Texas wines. My nearest central market doesn't have a large selection, but the Texas wines it carries are difficult to find anywhere else. My local independent wine shop carries about 20 Texas wines, and they're all really high-quality, delicious wines. The customer service there is wonderful, too. They're always able to help me track down wine that's difficult to find. And finally, the big-box liquor stores like Specs and Total Wine carry more brands than a grocery store. Depending on the location, they can be extremely well-stocked. So how to pick? It's really best if you can find a knowledgeable person at the store to guide you to something that you might enjoy. Or take a friend who's really into Texas wine. But I can give you a couple of ways that you might approach a wall full of Texas wine. First, don't limit yourself to the most familiar international varieties like Chardonnay, Merlot, Pinot Noir. These can be great in Texas, sure, but some of our best wines are made from less common grape varieties, like Morved, Tanat, Tintacau, and Picpoul Blanc. Second, you'll also run across wines with fantasy names, such as Skeleton Key or Junkyard Red. Well, what's that? It might not be clear what's inside. Hopefully a staff member can help you by making recommendations if these brands are unfamiliar to you. One word of caution, be aware that wine shops and grocery stores have started importing wines from Mexico. Pretty cool, right? And it's quite good wine. One popular brand is Casa Madero, which is the oldest winery in the Americas. But these wines from Mexico are often displayed with Texas wines. Don't pick them up by accident. And now let's talk about the Texas wineries. As you probably know, there are a lot of Texas wines that aren't sold in the grocery store, and you won't find them on a restaurant wine list. Instead, they're sold in tasting rooms or through mailing lists. These are probably the wineries that have had the toughest time this year since tasting rooms have been shut down. It is estimated that 95% of Texas wine is sold through the tasting room, so you can imagine the impact of the shutdown on these wineries. It's really a shame because there's no better place to learn about Texas wine than to go straight to the source. When you visit, you will be very well taken care of and will receive a high degree of hospitality. I can almost guarantee it. That leads me to how we can best support Texas wineries. The answer is simple. Buy wine from them. Yes, the absolute best way to support Texas wineries is to buy wine directly from the wineries. When you buy curbside or online, the wineries are making more money than when the wines enter the distribution channel and get sent to retail locations. Of course, all the segments of the distribution chain are critical, 
But when we buy directly from the winery, that helps them the most. It's like when you pick up your takeout from a restaurant. That's much better for the restaurant than using Uber Eats or DoorDash. The restaurant makes maybe 30% more on your order. Now, I'm not sure of the finances of the transaction on the winery side, but it's certainly better for the winery to sell to you directly. So since you're committed to learning more about Texas wine, I want you to go visit the five tasting rooms that are closest to where you live as soon as you can safely do so. Your closest wineries might be sprawling estate vineyards or urban retreats, but you'll never know until you visit. Try their wines and learn their history. And while you're at it, inquire about the wine club and any upcoming events on their calendar. Not every winery has a wine club. Some are selling to an email list, or they're just dependent on whoever walks through the doors of a tasting room. But if a winery offers a wine club, that's a great way to support them. They count on your consistent support from season to season. I'll have an upcoming show diving into more details on Texas wine clubs. When you sign up, you're guaranteeing that you'll stay a wine club member for at least a couple of shipments. The best way that you can find out which wineries are closest to you is to visit the Texas Wine Lover website at txwinelover.com and click on the winery map. Now, when you visit the winery, don't be afraid to ask questions. I guarantee the tasting room staff has heard it before, so don't be concerned that your question is silly. Before your visit, you'll want to find out if you need to make a reservation. This has become a very popular way to manage crowds on busy weekends, and I bet it will be even more important considering the need to distance groups after reopening finally happens. Don't rush your visit. It's better to visit just a couple wineries in one day and really experience all they have to offer. So don't visit all five of the wineries nearest you in a single day. Now, here's where I'm going to give you an assignment, and it's a task that I think you'll really enjoy. Your challenge, if you choose to accept it, is to go shopping and fill a case with Texas wine, as suggested in the graphics that are posted to Instagram and Facebook. I'm calling it the Texas Starter Case. Basically, it's an empty case box with labels for what Texas wines you need to buy to fill the box. If you drink the assigned wines, I feel like you'll have a good sense for what Texas wine is all about. As we've discussed already, you can get these wines through retail channels, or better yet, directly from a winery. My Texas wine shopping list includes three slots for white wines. I'm suggesting a Viognier, a white blend, and I've left a slot for a wildcard white wine. The wildcard slot can be filled with whatever catches your eye. Maybe the winery that you're visiting has a specialty that you're ready to try. Maybe it's a Picpoul Blanc, a Chenin Blanc, or a Roussan. You've also got three slots for rosé. One of these might be a pet nat. Now the rosés, and especially the pet nat, will be a bit harder to find at the grocery store. I think most Texas rosé gets sold out of the tasting room because it's just so popular. But do yourself a favor and seek it out, because I think rosé is one of the wines Texas does best. And if you can't find a pet nat or another bottle of Texas sparkling wine, substitute a canned rosé. There are several on the market, and I even drank one on the last podcast. Finally, the other half of the case is dedicated to red wine. I've included many of our state's favorite grape varieties here, as well as another wildcard slot, this time for a red wine. 
I almost put Sangiovese instead of the red wildcard slot, and then I changed it to Dolcetto because I think that's such a great up-and-coming wine that's a bit under the radar, but I ended up just leaving it a wildcard. When you visit a winery, they'll let you know what they're known for or what's their most popular, and you can decide on the wildcard accordingly. If you want a huge wine, find an Alianico, or how about a Texas Merlot or a Malbec? The wildcard is up to you. When you're looking for suggestions of which wines to try, you might want to do some research before heading out to the store or placing that online order. Ask your friends or family. Log on to the Texas Wine Lover website and look to see what winery or winemaker catches your eye. Or look to see which wines have won awards recently. Of course, I'm partial to the wines that have won at the Texom International Wine Awards because that's the competition where I volunteer. And it's definitely a tough competition to meddle in. But you know that when a wine wins there, it's been carefully considered by a stellar panel of top-notch judges and is a really special wine. The Texas Wine Lover site always shares results from the Texom competition, the San Francisco competitions, and all the others. So you can go to Texas Wine Lover and search or click on my show notes for a link to see which wines have won. I'll mention a few widely available, well-regarded wines that may be good choices for your starter pack. I limited myself to making just one recommendation for some of these categories. And y'all remember that I'm on a Texas wine journey too, and I haven't had wine from every winery in Texas. So if you've got favorites that you want to shout out, I invite you to mention them on my social media channels. For the Viognier slot, I love a Brennan Viognier. For the white blend, I'll mention the Llano Estacado 1836 White, which was the judge's selection medal for best white in Texas at the 2020 Texom International Wine Awards. For the white wild card, I'll call out the McPherson Pickpool Blanc. Although in the recent podcast with Doug Schaefer, Kim McPherson said that he couldn't give away Pickpool Blanc if he stacked it up outside a liquor store. For rosé, I'll recommend the Lewis Wines rosés, and they make several of them. I'll also link to a TexasHighways.com article that I was interviewed for. It has several additional recommendations for Texas rosé. The Pet Nat you'll likely have to order directly from the winery, but you'll find a lot of good options for something bubbly. I can't pick just one. Same with Tempranillo. There are so many wineries making Tempranillo, but you won't have any trouble finding one. For the wild card, I'll mention the La Straw Sangiovese. This was the judges' selection medal for the best red in Texas at the 2020 Texom International Wine Awards. For Tanat, Bending Branch is very well known for making good Tanat. William Chris is very well known for making exceptionally good Morvedra. They're actually one of the largest growers of Morved in the country. And for the red blend slot, I recommend the Ready Vineyards Field Blend. Here are a few tips. You're probably going to spend at least $12 to $15 per bottle at retail, and you should go for a couple splurges as well. Spend as much as your budget will allow on at least a few of these bottles. That way you'll get the full breadth of what Texas can do at different price points. And don't forget, if you order from a winery, if you can find a winery where you can hit a lot of these different uh, types of wines, you'll most likely get free shipping for a case as well as a case discount of some kind. And you might as well just join the wine club while you're at it. 
If you want to do the really advanced version of this exercise, try to get wines from several different AVAs. You'll almost certainly have to place several online orders or shop at a really well-stocked store to do this. Obviously, modify this case as you see fit. If you're more into white than red, do a half a case of whites and just three reds. This is just an idea to get you started. But the idea is to try to drink across the spectrum of Texas wines to see what is available out there. Now, when you're tasting, don't expect Texas wine to taste like wine from anywhere else. Why should it? It should taste like good wine, not like good wine from California. If all you've ever had before is wine from California, expect Texas wine to taste different. Why? Because it's an agricultural product that reflects where it's made. Do East Coast oysters taste like West Coast oysters? Not to people who know their oysters. By the way, did you know the ocean has its own terroir and it's called meroir? I'm not even kidding. Well, the same concept goes for wine. Wine, of course, shares some common characteristics no matter where it's from. It should be flavorful, aromatic, and well-balanced. It should be delicious. Just as there's a wide variety in wine styles from California— or from any other growing region, there's also a very wide variety in Texas. I could point you to the most delicate white wine, the most lightly floral rosé, or the most expressive and full-bodied red wine that you've ever tasted, all within this state. Texas wine isn't just one style. I've said it before, there's not just one way to do things around here. This is Texas, after all. The land of individualism. And Texas wine is all about experimentation, Winemaking is part art and part science. We've got it all going on. Now, once you've drunk these wines, consider which wines you like best. Maybe you want to try more of that same variety or style, but from different producers. Or try more wine from a producer you really enjoyed. If you haven't already, maybe plan an excursion to go visit the tasting room in person. This is just the beginning of your Texas wine journey, and this is where it really gets fun. If you're one of those people who doesn't keep much wine on hand, who just buys what you need for the night or for the weekend, let me challenge you with this. If you buy a case of wine directly from a winery or even from a wine store, not only will you get a better price, you'll support the winery and you'll never run out of something to drink. Once you find something you love, make that your house wine. Maybe not forever, but at least for a season. And Texas wine makes a great gift, too. When you discover a Texas wine or winery that you love, share it. Share it on social media. Tell your friends. Give bottles to your friends and your kids' teachers. These little things help the industry's reputation. And why shouldn't Texans be proud of Texas wine? Of course we should. And for those folks in the 1970s who used to call Texas wine Chateau Bubba or Cactus Blanc, well, bless their misguided hearts. We played Texas Wine Bingo on Instagram last week, so bingo shout out to our winners. Stuart from Wine on the Dime, who is a fellow specialist of Texas wine. Jeff Cope from Texas Wine Lover. And Shira Mills, who's the vineyard manager at Pedernalis Cellars. She also had a great showing. If you're not following me on social media, please do. I'm at Texas Wine Pod on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. But you can also find Texas Wine Pod on Facebook and Twitter. 
Also, a quick request that you help the audience to grow by sharing this show with a friend. Now, I'm so thankful for the audience I've gotten thus far. Many of you are Texas wine superfans. I love it. But this episode is also appropriate for those friends of yours who may not be quite so into Texas wine. Maybe share this podcast and help them get started. You could even give them some advice on your favorite Texas wine so that they'll start building their Texas wine starter case. And now we'll move on to the education segment and what I'm drinking. Today, those segments are combined because I'm drinking something that I had to learn about. It's Paquette, an ancient drink that's staging a comeback and making an emergence in the U.S. for the first time. Paquette is derived from the French word prick or prickle, which describes the drink's slight fizz. Paquette that I'm drinking today is from Southhold, and it's the new canned sparkling rosé beverage. Some say it's not technically wine because it's not made from fermented grapes. They say it's wine adjacent, like a natural wine spritzer. It's also been compared to sour beer or kombucha. Well, it's been a long time since I've had a wine spritzer, and I don't think I've ever had sour beer, but I do love kombucha, and that's exactly what this reminds me of. It's not wine, technically, because it's actually made using the the remnants of the winemaking process. After fermented wine is pressed off the seeds and stems and the leftover grape skins, that is known as pomace, that would normally be thrown away. But instead, the paquette producer will add some water and sometimes a small amount of wine, and that starts fermentation all over again. But there's not much left to ferment. There's not much sugar left. So the alcohol doesn't get very high. The alcohol on this Southhold Paquette is 4%. And then before bottling, it's common to add some sugar or honey to kickstart a second fermentation in the can. And that's what makes it fizzy. I emailed Southhold to get a little more information about how they do things, but I didn't get a response in time to include here. So I'm not entirely sure how they make their Paquette. Um, but I do have a quote from from Regan Meter that was in a recent wine enthusiast article. And he says, to me, simplicity wins out. Just like the Romans and the many who came after them, this isn't an endeavor of place or varietal or any of the current trappings of wine. It is quite literally using the scraps. So we don't separate varieties. We make one big pot and then we keg and sometimes bottle condition it. Very, very simple, low alcohol, inexpensive and crazy refreshing. They, Southhold recently um, posted a crushed can on Instagram, and they posted, putting your paquette in a wine glass makes paquette sad, and you don't get the self-satisfying accomplishment of crushing the can after you've crushed paquette. So it's simple. Don't put paquette in a glass. Don't do paquette wrong, and your paquette will thank you. Koozies are allowed, and in some cases preferred. Well, I did put it in a glass just because I wanted to see what color it was and to see the bubbles the tiny little bubbles, and it's a really pretty color. But generally speaking, I, I wouldn't even bother putting it in glass. It is kind of a cloudy pink, and it actually did match some kombucha that I had in my refrigerator. Um, like I said, it's it's really refreshing, but it does have a pretty intense sour characteristic that I really like. I can see that it's not for everybody, um, but it's not going to replace wine at a meal for me, but it would replace something that I may drink poolside or at a picnic, And it's something that you may want to drink more in the middle of the day if you had an occasion where you needed to be still alert in the afternoon and didn't want to drink a a glass of wine that might leave you a little bit sleepy. I got this four-pack of Paquette at Whole Foods Lakewood, and it was $14.99 for the four-pack. 
And I know it's also available at Bar and Garden Dallas. I'm sure it's available at other Whole Foods and other retail locations, too. And apparently they also send some up to New York. I didn't see it on the Southhold website, though, although you may be able to pick it up in person. The can is a 16-ounce can, and the label looks like maybe it was designed by one of the meter's kids. I'm not sure. Uh, But they had a whole tower of them at Whole Foods. They also made this wine last year, but they sold it in a glass bottle with a crown cap. And I'm excited to try more Paquette now that I know what it is. The Austin Winery makes one, too. And on their website, theirs is also 4% alcohol. And they call it a dry, sparkling wine that is more reminiscent of a hard kombucha than anything else. It has a brilliant, almost glowing color with tart berry notes, medium bubbles, and a mildly tannic finish. So theirs is available online. It's $18 for a four-pack. So Paquette, like I said, it's not a new beverage. It's an old tradition in Europe and in many wine-growing regions around the world. It's called different things in different countries. And it's a wine that was often served to family members and to field workers. But it was started in the U.S. by Todd Cavallo of Wild Ark Farms in the New York's Hudson Valley. He read about it in a book called The Red and the White, The History of Wine in France and Italy in the 19th Century. Started playing around with the technique in 2016. And then he made his first commercial paquette in 2017. So this is kind of a popular new trend among a lot of natural Um, producers to do something with the pumice. So I recommend that you check it out. I want to say thank you to Jeff Cope and Texas Wine Lover website for helping spread the word about this podcast. Remember to visit txwinelover.com whenever you have a question about a Texas winery or a Texas vineyard. Not only can you get information on Texas wineries, but the website is also full of travel reports, winemaker interviews, and interesting blog posts. And as we discussed in this episode, you can go there to find out about which Texas wines are award winners. Thanks, Texas Wine Lover. And just a few other reminders, please go to the website for full show notes for this episode and sign up for the newsletter while you're there. As a thank you, I'll send you my document that includes the top 10 Texas wine experiences that I had during my shelter in place and subscribe to this podcast so that you won't miss our next episode. It'll be in two weeks and I've got a very special episode planned. It's my first interview. Connect with me on social media. I'm at Texas Wine Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, but most active on Instagram. Thank you for listening to This Is Texas Wine. Cheers, y'all.